0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome to another Believe podcast of The Guitar Life featuring John Hoisenstam. I'm your host, Patrick Honeywell, sitting in today for John to discuss, among other things, John's amazing journey down under, which started out as an overseas vacation to Australia, but became much, much more. welcome john to your podcast today how are you
2: i'm terrific thanks thanks for having us pat
1: (laughs) well you know i was thinking about this i thought you know what you know, John could interview himself, but then he's no ventriloquist, as far as I'm c- concerned. You know, no, it's you know good what's...
2: to have somebody helping me. It's a way more, uh, way more uh, inspirational, if you know what I mean.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's fun. The last, uh, one that we yeah. did, I was lucky enough to be able to, to interview you. It was, you had a lot of wonderful things to talk about, you know, your history, et cetera, which will probably pop back and forth on that again, because it has a, such a big influence on in your life, you know, some of the things you've done. But we're really going to check, kind of do an adventure, a tour through, uh, Australia. I mean, you have an amazing history in Australia, Um, so uh, I'd like to discuss that with you, if that's okay.
2: Well, I was, uh, you know, traveling with the Denise Williams Band and uh, getting tired of being on the road, Mm -hmm. and my brother uh, was, you know, communicating with me about how much he liked uh, being in West Australia and how great the surf was there, and uh, I just decided... uh, you know, when I left the the band that I was going to go to Australia and uh, hang out with my brother for a while and get some great surf, and that's how it all got started, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So you went to Australia uh, initially, uh, I believe, for vacation and uh, met up with your brother, hung out for a bit, and served a lot. Then you came back, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. I came back after being there for nearly six months, yeah.
1: Oh, wow, that's a nice long vacation, right?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and awesome. on the way back, I went through India for a month to uh, – visit some friends of my dad's and mm-hmm. and uh, I took music lessons because there was a guy locally I could do that with two blue yeah
1: okay so okay
2: that was my so first stint yeah
1: yeah so let's talk about the big move so I, I I noted the big move with Julie so Julie was here correct were you in Mill Valley I believe before you went
2: well Julie uh, came here we got married uh, pretty quickly after that you know we decided that we were going to get married as soon as we could which uh, about a month later, and uh, we stayed in the United States for another year and a half while we waited for my, uh, my visa clearance and my green card. Now, I could have just gone there directly uh, as a tourist, but uh, we tried to do everything by the book, so we, uh, we waited for you know, my paperwork to come through. And while we were waiting, we lived in Newport for a few months, and then we moved to uh, Mill Valley, as you say, because in San Rafael, which is right near Mill Valley, the Ali Akbar College of Indian Music was there. And I got mm-hmm. to study uh, Indian music uh, for a semester, you know, while we were waiting for transcripts and that kind of stuff to come through.
1: Got you. Got you. OK. So let's talk about uh, you. So the long trip to Australia with Julie, when you when you made the move, um, to to get into the music of of the music that you your approach everything your background in music all that what let's talk about when you first decided that you'd want to start playing i mean i believe you probably had little jobs here and there you know maybe doing some carpentry et cetera, but you said you know what i'm here to play music when did you decide that you wanted to play well it
2: didn't happen right away let me explain that in america i was trying to become a professional musician And, you know, I did the surf punks, and I I played with Denise Williams and Chuck Smith, um, who's a great uh, soul singer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in a lot of situations, actually, where the music was very inspirational. But uh, I didn't like the lifestyle. I was a surfer. I liked, uh, you know, the great outdoors. I'm a bird watcher, which uh, uh, Australia's got an incredible ornithology, you know, interest. So I, I I love going there for that purpose. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I did finish uh, my Ali Akbar College uh, studies and uh, my uh, paperwork came through and I got my green card and all that, going to Australia was not about becoming a professional musician. It was about starting over from scratch and kind of like... you know, see what else I could do with my life, because I didn't think I could be a professional musician and be a good uh, husband to my wife, so mm-hmm. so that's that's where I was at when I was on my way over there in my head <laughs> mm-hmm. gotcha. I knew, I knew I wanted to live there because uh-huh. she had a lot of relatives there. I had relatives there, and mm-hmm. um, we had just had Rachel. my daughter was only um three months old. Wow, so we were going there to get a new start.
0: Hmm.
1: Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. I believe that Julie does have a lot of uh, relatives there. Her father lives in Melbourne, Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, she's got uh, three
2: older brothers or three Mm -hmm. brothers, two of them older, one of them younger and two sisters, one younger and one older. Yeah. So we have big Mm -hmm. family there. They have a lot of uh, kids and a lot of grandkids. And it's uh, exciting for us to go and visit them because we have so much uh, connection with Australia.
1: No kidding. Well, you have that's great cuz the surf is supposed to be amazing there. So you had to do your brother Mark, great another great surfer. You guys are probably surfing a bit and then you brought your guitar. Yeah. Thankfully. I can tell you how that got started <laughs>
2: actually. It might be uh embarrassing at first, nah. but this is how Wait, it all, for me
1: or for you? For me.
2: <laughs> for me. So uh we moved down to the uh Cape Naturalist, you know the Margaret River area, which mm-hmm. is very isolated really uh, in the uh in the early 80s you know uh 1980 uh, it was not very pop uh popular uh or popular uh, population wise uh, excuse me it wasn't uh wasn't a lot of people around you know yeah. so we were uh, pretty isolated from the music scene or, and from business and whatever so i was looking for work i'd be uh driving tractors i'd be uh you know painting gardening whatever i could uh whatever I could scrounge up really and we were living on this farm and the rent was 15 dollars a week oh come on <laughs> and i couldn't afford it <laughs> oh my in other words cuz i'm completely out of work i didn't have enough you know so here i am i'm married uh, i have a kid we're living on a farm mm. our overhead is next to nothing but i still didn't have any income so uh I didn't know what I was gonna do, and we didn't have any kind of reserve uh, money. Hmm. So I was just in, casually talking to my wife about it, and I said, you know, back in America, I used to play the guitar, and I used to get gigs, and I used to get paid to, you know, you know, with my guitar. And she said, well, go down to that local pub that's down there in Dunsboro, which is about 15 minutes from where we were living, and see if you can get a gig at that place down there. And sure enough, I walked into the, the, uh, the pub, and I asked a guy, and the guy asked me to come in and play on Sundays, um, and he paid me forty dollars. So there, there it was. I had my uh, rent money, I had milk money, and uh, nice. I started working right away, uh, playing the guitar in that in that uh, bar. And mm-hmm. that's how I got my start in uh, West Australia. That was in the early eighties. Yeah.
1: Was that a solo type of performance? Yeah, I would just take
2: uh-huh. my acoustic guitar in there, and I'd strum the guitar, and I'd sing uh, whatever whatever came to my mind. Beatles. Uh, Eagles, uh, hmm. sing a few BB King blueses. And, uh, I told the guy, you know, cause <laughs> it was kind of like picking up some steam. There were people coming in to watch me and they were liking what yeah. I was doing. And I uh-huh. told the guy, I said, look, if, if you let me find some musicians to back me up, you know, and put a band together and here, I think I could really, uh, you know, get a big crowd in here. And that's exactly what happened. I, I found some local musicians, uh, Bevan Roda a very good drummer from Bunbury which was about an hour north of there and mm-hmm. Elliot Morris who was a bass player living in Margaret River at the time who had been playing professionally in Perth and the mm. three of us put this band together called The Lifters hmm. and we got really busy we started working all over the place yeah and doing very well wow. yeah
1: so that was that, that was not in Perth that was No that uh, was in Margaret River that was Margaret south River. of Perth a okay. uh,
2: a good 3 hours drive south of Perth so 100 50 miles, uh, 200 miles, 150 wow. K, you know, kilometers south. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah.
1: Great start. So you you were with the lifters and uh, did, how long did you guys stay together?
2: Well, I had a music store that I opened up in um, in Busselton, which is where one of my kids, Nathan, was born. My second kid was born in Bustleton, mm-hmm. And uh, the reason for that was so I could give guitar lessons because I thought, well, I could give guitar lessons here at this shop because people are asking me for lessons wherever I'm playing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I opened up the shop, and interestingly enough, the band was doing better than my shop was, so I said, why do I even want to come in here and sit here for eight hours a day uh, running a little business like this when all I have to do is play two or three nights a week and Mm -hmm. uh, earn a good living uh, with my band? So that's what I decided Mm -hmm. to do. That was after a year and a half of having the music store in Busselton. Yeah, and the population in Bustleton during the winter was nine thousand, and in the mm. summer, uh, the holiday season was about twenty thousand. So, wow. small place, but enough to, uh, you know, enough to keep yeah. me going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, when you did the small gig with the three guys, uh, what kind of guitar were you using? What, what kind of music, just general? Oh, like that's heartbreaking
2: because uh, it started off with an old '60s Telecaster.
0: Ooh,
1: yeah, wow. and,
2: which was a beautiful guitar. And uh, I got interested in Stratocasters, but I didn't buy a Strat at first. I bought an Ibanez Roadstar. And that was a very good guitar, too, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, gradually I started buying, uh, you know, Gibsons and uh, Fender guitars when I could afford it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you have a, a very storied history in Australia playing music. And I, and I have took down a few notes because mm-hmm. you're in Margaret River, but you played, um, and we'll maybe touch on each one a little bit, Perth. West Australia, East Coast, Melbourne, Sydney. And I've got many questions for you. So where would you like to start next well, on your journey? Well, I'll just make, to make
2: <laughs> it brief. Uh, uh, you know, because we were having children, because uh, I needed to uh, think more of a career, you know, uh, we decided to move to Perth because of mm-hmm. the population, right? More mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and uh, more musicians to work with. So one thing led to another. We, we, we made the move to Perth. And Perth has a very strong music community so they have a, a blue society they have a jazz society there's lots of rock venues especially in the 80s because that's kind of fizzled out uh, as of late you know but back mm-hmm. then it was uh, you know really a hot uh, you know thing going you could uh, get gigs in lots of bars lots of uh, hotels and you could you could make a decent uh, you know wage uh, playing in some of these places
1: well, they had. I, I know. I read. Uh, if I can mention that you're the book that you're working on, transcript it's quite lovely. Uh, <laughs> you had a couple of favorite places to play in Perth, I believe, because Perth has clubs, hotels. You know, uh-huh. uh, the Mosman Hotel. What Mosman, you call Mos- Mosman? Mosman. Mosman, yeah. and also Pinocchio's. I think is that in Perth? Well, too? that was
2: one place. That was a nightclub. You could play. Uh, you know, really late hours. Some guys would play their ah, okay. regular gig. uh, you know, from 8 to 10 or from 6 to 9 or whatever. And then they'd go to Pinocchio's and play like, uh, you know, 1 to 3 in the morning or 11 to Uh 2 or whatever. Yeah, Pinocchio's was a late-night club, yeah.
1: So was this the same band that you had in Margaret River or different band? Well, that's
2: a good question. Um, You know, thinking back, the first band that I formed with the Lifters, and and this is no... uh, you know, diss on those guys, but it was an experiment for me because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who mm-hmm. I was as a musician. I didn't know what direction to go in, and I didn't even know anything about direction, you know. Like, people mm-hmm. get uh, well-known for being good at certain things, right? Well, I was doing mm-hmm. everything. You know, I was doing uh, 60s tunes. I was doing a little bit of Hendrix, and then I would do uh, some country music, and I was kind of like all over the board, you know, and then mm-hmm. I uh, and then I would be doing a lot of original songs. So I had it really mixed up. I might have confused the audience, but uh, we did have a following, and people enjoyed what we were doing. So something was working, you know. <laughs> but when I got to Perth, uh, I got together with one of the Bailey brothers, uh, John Bailey, and we formed this band called Cicada. Hmm. And we had uh, Harris Campbell, Bruce Devonish. We started playing... Uh, you know, a few originals and a country rock like uh, Jackson Brown type songs, Neil Young a little bit. Hmm. And I still was searching for what it was I thought would be, uh, you know, a uh, popular. Mm-hmm. And one afternoon we were playing um, at this uh, gig that we had down by the uh, Swan River. I can't remember the name of the, the club. But uh, at the very end of the uh, day, uh, we just did some blues randomly, right? We were we were, oh. we were building up and getting everybody into what we we're doing, and somehow blues came into the. And there were these people behind me that just jumped to their feet. They like were really like uh, rebel rousing and getting all excited. <laughs> and I'm going, what's going on here? I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea that Australians were that into blues, right? Hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, at that point, I started focusing more of my attention to being uh, the consummate you know, like blues entertainer, blues guitarist, you know. Mm-hmm. That's where that got started, yeah. Playing with, playing now, with that you... band, yeah, Cicada. To an early uh, blues recording of myself, John Heusenstamm. That was done in West Australia at Revolver Studios, Vic Manfrin's place. That was Al Cash on the drums, John Dalzell on the bass guitar, a little bit of uh, Matt Taylor on harmonica, yours truly on guitar. Live at the Great Western Hotel. If you're enjoying our program, please subscribe. This is the Guitar Life, I believe, podcast.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so were you, John, considered uh, one of your nicknames was the American Yankee? Did you pick that up later? or
2: Well, uh, <laughs> agencies, uh, you know, since I didn't have a record out, so I didn't have any recorded music, they would uh, advertise uh, me as an American blues guitarist on tour, American musician. Mm-hmm. You know, they would just do anything they could to, to create an interest from a mm-hmm. PR, public relations standpoint, and get people down You know, bums on seats, they used to say, to try to get people interested. So they would use terminologies like that, American, Yankee, whatever.
1: Well, how long did it take before you decided to put on that uh, famous Australian, like the cowboy hat the Aussies wear? What do you call that? Uh, that
2: Give me a second, and I might remember what those hats are called. I know I had the oilskin jacket just as a – I can't remember the name of the hat, but it's a famous Australian hat, a Kubra. That's right, a Kubra. And in uh, America, of course, we have stents and uh, hats. But I put the mm. I, I put the akubra hat on mm-hmm. because my manager at the time, you know, uh, you know, we were thinking of an image, right? So uh, that's how that came about. So I, I looked. Wow. I didn't look all totally American. I looked, uh, you know, half Australian anyway. Yeah. And I started American. You know, and my hair was falling out, so it was a good uh, thing to fall back on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. The Aussie Yankee combination guy. Yeah. So basically, you know, yeah. you have. A- you have a lot of stories and I don't know when some of these things started happening but you you played in some nice places but you also did some fun gigs that were kind of crazy. I I, I read mm-hmm. uh, about like hillbilly biker parties and and some I did a lot these, of those man crazy crazy because the, the
2: the biker crowd, you know the biker mm-hmm. community. Yep. Somehow at one of these gigs I started playing boogie music, like canned heat type music, just because I yeah. because I knew in my mind that in America, um, that's what they were into, you know? And they were mm-hmm. into Steppenwolf, and I knew some Steppenwolf music, oh, so man. I just pulled it out of my hat one day and said, let's play some of this, <laughs> let's do some Steppenwolf, let's do some, uh, oh, some awesome. canned heat boogie, and boy, they ate it up, and they were inviting me to all of their shows, and pretty soon I was... Constantly playing at biker rallies, right? And then, wow. the, and then the biggest okay. one that they do was called the uh, Bin Dune, and mm-hmm. and that was like twenty two thousand people. And uh, I was one Jeez. of the featured uh, artists, you know, at the gig. And there were people ready for me because I'd been playing at all their parties, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> sure um, enough, here I was, the American guy playing American uh, music, and you know, that's
1: what happened. And that uh, the Bin Dune Rock, uh, West Australia's first rock festival. I yeah, believe, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I played it at Pretty a couple cool.
2: of them. The other one that I did uh, for them was with a band called The Innocent Bystanders. And that's a good story in that uh, Brett Keyser, the leader, was a great songwriter, great singer, front man, but the guitar player, ah he became very famous as John Diesel. So he left the band to go on his own solo career, and I filled in for him, and that was one of the most difficult things I've ever uh tried. Was to fill in for somebody who was, somebody who was already an established a guy who's uh, so good at what he's doing, and uh, that was tough for me. <laughs> anyway, I pulled it off. But uh... okay. so Johnny yeah, cool. Johnny Diesel went on to be a very famous uh, uh, musician in his own right. Great, great musician. Mm. Fantastic. Really great guitarist. Wow.
1: Well, you also played at uh, the Australian Blues Festival, which I, I was reading about. This, and I don't know if that was early on or mid or later, but so, a long, dangerous drive. So we were yeah. we were
2: already on the road. You know, we were okay. touring the uh, northwest coast of Australia, going to places hmm. like Carnarvon and uh, Derby and Darwin and all these incredible, Cononara, uh, these insane places that are so remote, but beautiful. And if you're a... A bird watcher like I am, the, the mm-hmm. you know the parrots and the uh, lorikeets wow. and all the different types of birds, emus that are wild there. You know the kind of birds mm-hmm. that you see in cages here are wild there, and mm-hmm. uh, the colors are amazing. Anyway, so I'm up there in the far northwest, and we hear about the Australian Blues Festival while we're touring, mm-hmm. and the agency's got us on the bill. So Darwin is about 800 kilometers north of Alice Springs. Jeez. So we finished our gig at the North Cliff Hotel in, uh, in Darwin, mm-hmm. got in the cars and started driving through the night, right? And we get to uh, Alice Springs around 10 o'clock, I guess. We're pulling in, mm-hmm. and it's raining. Oh. It rains four inches a year in Alice Springs, and it just happens Jeez. to be— the only rainstorm they ever have, and the festival is outside, right? So Uh, so why all these people uh are, like, humming and hawing about who's going to open up the whole show, I said, I'll open it
1: up, you know? So did they hem and haw because uh, less people in the beginning, and they they wanted to wait for more people? Yeah,
2: because it was raining, so people aren't
1: you know they're not.
2: So I just I I, they're not there yet. So I just I'll just get out there and I'll start playing, man. I mean, thank you for having us. (laughs) You know, just to try to be try to be uh, accommodating, right? But but the sun comes out, you know, we're setting up our equipment, people start showing up, so a big crowd uh, was rushing in there. Because they had all mm-hmm. been waiting in their cars and in their tents and in their caravans, waiting for the weather, to, you know, to, to back off. Uh-huh. So we did it. We had a fantastic show. Yeah, uh, we were the first group to play at the Australian Blues Festival. Yeah, I had uh, Dirk Dubow on the bass guitar and John Kellett on the drums. They were a fantastic rhythm
1: section. Mm, that's fantastic. <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I met uh, Ian Moss really cool.
2: too at that show. He's probably uh, Australia's. Uh, Number one uh, most popular electric guitarist, singer, Ian Moss, from a band oh called uh, Cold Chisel. He's just, hmm. he's like the Eric Clapton of uh, Australia. You know, he's a sensational musician. Wow. I got to meet well, him. Well, you know,
1: you, you did a lot of uh, touring in Australia, and it's interesting. So I looked on um, a map of Australia, and I, I really realized how much ground you covered. That
2: Well, one year I drove 40,000 miles, I think. You know, six, 60,000 60, kilometers in one year, something like that. I might be, God. it might be the other way around, 40,000 kilometers. <laughs> what difference does it make? <laughs> All we did was drive, you know?
0: Wow. And I'm proud of the well, musicians. You know, <laughs> that,
2: I'm proud of the musicians that stuck with me. I had a, a wow. several different lineups, but uh, people that were willing I'm to sure make that, that <laughs> kind of traveling, it was, I was I was proud
1: of them, yeah. Well, I'm sure they were happy to play with you. I know, that, now, I believe I noted it was on the East Coast to talk a little bit about, uh, there was a couple places you played, clubs you enjoyed. Uh, I wrote down All Nations Club. Yeah, the basement, I was in King's and the Chinese Cross in Sydney. Restaurant in Which ones did... Tell us about that a little bit.
2: Well, I love that Wallingong gig. It was a Chinese uh, restaurant in the front with a rock club, you know. And we, we'd <laughs> play there every Sunday, and it was just packed.
1: Wow. People huh. just
2: went nuts. Yeah, so uh, that was really fun. And that was okay. the one regular gig that we had every Sunday while we were there on the road for three months. Now, now this is probably the hardest touring I've ever done in my I'm sure it is. What am I saying here? Uh, mm-hmm. We were on the road. For 53 days in a row, we played nightclub gigs. and they were, Every night? They were in different places. Yeah, oh, except, for, except for that one Sunday gig, right? We'd go uh-huh. back and play there every Sunday. But for 53 days in a row, we'd play from 10 o'clock at night to 2 in the morning. And we had to be in a different place the next day. So I would go back to the apartment where my family was. They were staying in Manly. They had a really nice, uh, they had a really nice, uh, you know, arrangement there. I, I was able to give them good accommodation while I was working, right? So while they were uh, enjoying the beach and whatever, I was out playing at night, and mm-hmm. uh, that killed me. I thought when that when that tour was over, uh, if I never play the guitar again, I'll be very happy because that was so hard on me. To be uh, wow. to do those kind of hours, but the gigs <laughs> that we played were all fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I bet. people really yeah. Came they had out. a lot of warming up, right? Well, it they mean, you came had out of the of woodwork <laughs> to see the American guy play blues, basically, and uh, I, no I, I delivered, and uh, I made a lot of friends. I still have a, you know, a tremendous, uh, you know, a pool of friends that I've I made playing
1: music there, and I miss the place very much. Well. You know, I was, I'm wondering though the you know the bike. You had a huge fan of bikers, so they're probably going. Where's John, right? Did you disappoint some of those biker guys? They say we want to have him play at the next party.
2: Well, I mean, I, I have stories about bikers that I met. You know, like there was this one one-legged biker that I <laughs> you know I was I had interest in him. I'd see him over there at the bar, and I'd go up to him and I'd say, "Tell me, friend, how did you lose your leg?" you know and he he'd give me the worst look like he was going to kill me like he was going to string me up cut my throat you know dump me in a trash can you know get rid of me and he'd say the service is so bad here that a rat ate my leg while i was waiting for me drink <laughs> oh, God. i take the guitar out from under the bed
1: wow 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 The thing out
2: and throw it around. I like the boogie mama. Bad Yankee playing the guitar. Jeez, we used to incite some riots with those biker guys. Boogie Mama. This is John Tom. You're listening to the Guitar Life. We're a Believe podcast. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Thanks for
1: listening. Well, you have a couple stories, and, and I know I, I read about one where uh, you had a, this guy, an unruly gentleman, so yeah. to speak, to Came up and was giving you a super hard time, I think at the break or something, and it just blew your mind. And I think you had to, you walked off for a bit and came back, and this giant biker that's why I brought up the biker okay. story again. What did uh, well, he tell well, you?
2: There's a few big biker stories, but uh, maybe it's <laughs> the, the guy who picked me up off the ground. I don't know. <laughs> no, oh, no, wait this, a minute, this, wait this a minute, wait guy. a minute. I got it, I got it, I got it. The guy, okay. that, uh, the guy that wanted me to play Born to Be Wild. Okay. This big biker, and he, I mean, he was all in denims. And his denims looked like they hadn't been washed in 10 years. I mean, it mm-hmm. looked like he would dip them in oil just to keep them looking like that, right? I mean, he, this guy was the real, the <laughs> most hardcore biker you could imagine. <gasps> oh, but he was huge. Man. He was like towering, you know? Mm-hmm. So he comes in, and he walks right through the crowd like Paul Bunyan. He's bigger than everybody, and everybody's getting out of his <sighs> way. And he comes straight up to him, and he goes, Play Born to be Wild, mate. Born to be Wild? I, I turned to the uh, bass player and said, we're going to play Born to be Wild. And the guy the bass player goes, no, I won't do it. I don't know it. I don't want to do it. I go, oh, great. So <laughs> it's this big guy, he goes back into the crowd and he's standing there with his arms folded looking at me, right? So we play mm-hmm. one or two more songs and then he goes around the crowd and comes to the back part of the stage and comes up on the stage behind me, right? Whoa. And he leans nice. over to my ear from behind me and he goes, I thought I told you to play Born to be Wild, <laughs> And I go, I, just, gentlemen. I go, at this point, I'm dead, right? I look at the bass player. We're playing Born to be Wild. Here's how it goes. All I could remember, because I was so scared and so nervous, all I could remember was the chorus. So I just <laughs> kept playing. I, <laughs> I kept playing like a true nature's child. <laughs> we were born, born to be wild. I just kept playing that over and over. And na- I just say, get louder, get louder, play that louder and louder. <laughs> And of course wow. it it turned into like a frenzy where everybody was dancing and cheering cheering the band on right this guy picks me up you know i must have felt like a feather to him he just picks me up off the ground and he displays me to everybody in the audience you know he's he, like like i'm a doll he's he's like this and he's cheering he gives me this great big bear hug you know and he goes you know it was like <laughs> Where are you huh. gonna? Where are you gonna find an experience like that around here? Well, you know that that that's an
1: amazing story. But the story, I have two little ones I want to uh, share with you that I read about uh, okay. in your book. Okay. So the one was, um, a guy came and uh, was just—I don't know why—he was maybe he's drinking too much, badmouthed you and upset you. And um, a little bit later, a huge guy, another big biker guy, comes up to you and he says, "Don't worry, that guy that was bothering uh-huh. you." He says, I took him out in the parking lot and I beat the piss out of him. And he showed you his bloody hand. Yeah. Right?
2: <laughs> oh, I felt That's bad. Fun. I felt so bad. This is like in the middle of the night, too. This is like one in yeah. the morning, you know.
1: <laughs> well, here's one one more, one last one on the on the on the biker thing. Uh, you had some visitors sometimes, you know. You know, when you're a star and you're playing music, sometimes you have groupies or, you know, whatever. And you had some, I think some biker chicks storm in the dressing room. Yeah. And uh I believe that maybe they kind of had their eye on you, but you had heard what I read was that one of the guys whispered to you, goes, hey, John. He goes, their boyfriends are out at some other place, you know, in, in a, a brawl beating up some other biker guys. They are having a
2: rumble, yeah. They were having one of those. A rumble. Where, where the two biker groups get together and they fight it out, you know. Wow. And uh, all their uh, ladies, their, their, their women uh, friends, <laughs> mm-hmm. ladies, <laughs> they were <laughs> backstage waiting for us to finish playing and they were asking us to oh, go party man. with them and somebody mm. warned me says if you go out with those girls that's it your life's over these guys are going to find out about it and they're going to cut your throat <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and you know wow. what it was probably harder talking my way out of it you know than uh, you know to you know tell these guys no we're not coming to party <laughs> with you guys we we love you you're beautiful <laughs> but we're not yeah, but
1: going anywhere with away. you guys <laughs> stay away from me huh. Yeah, that was So hard. here's here's something else. So I read, uh, I believe, uh, on a personal note, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure where you were playing, but it, you, uh, you wrote uh, it's kind of a turning point in your relationship with Julie's dad, Les or Len, Len? Yeah. And um, so yeah. was that in Perth or? Yeah, what I was, was in that
2: Perth. About? We were living in uh, Inaloo, which is a okay. suburb of uh, Perth, uh, uh, north of Perth, just a few minutes, and we mm-hmm. were about three minutes from the beach. And I can't think of the name of the club, Kerrydale, um, uh, something like that. Anyway, okay. it, was a, it was a club that was actually walking distance from where we lived. And my father-in-law was out visiting from Melbourne, and he still doesn't know much about me, right? Some American guy comes along, marries his daughter in America— doesn't mm. you know traditionally you ask oh, the fa- you ask the father yeah. I I'm very interested I love your daughter I'd like to marry her you know <laughs> traditionally speaking but we went right around him who who cares about that guy in Australia he's 13,000 miles from here I'm in America yeah. so now I'm you in I, now I'm in his turf right uh-huh. he's staying at our house right comes over to visit from mm-hmm. Melbourne cuz we have kids now he wants to see mm-hmm. his grandkids and uh I'm playing walking distance from the house. Mm. So uh uh Les, I'm up uh, I'm at a club. You can come up and have a beer and enjoy uh, you know, enjoy some music, you know. Come on up and check mm-hmm. me out, you know. <laughs> and it, it just so happened that I was running hot right at the time. You know, I had a big following and we're doing this show and the place is going nuts. I mean, everybody's dancing, the dance floor is packed, people are cheering the band on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could see my father-in-law over to the left. You know, he's back at the bar by himself. And he's doing one of those, you know, where he's got his elbow on the bar and he's watching. I'm going, I'm, I'm saying to myself, oh, God. He's thinking to himself, my daughter married a frickin' rock guy that's all these chicks, you know. Oh, God. This is what I'm thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do another couple songs and I look up and he's not there. And I went, oh, God. In my head, it gets even worse. I'm thinking, oh, he's seen enough. He's walked back home. I go, I'm never going to hear the end of this. This is going to be a real, real bummer, you know, when I get home to to have to talk to this guy about why I'm a musician and all this kind of crap, you know. Mm. Anyway, when I get back to the house, he's there. It's real quiet, you know. And uh, I walk in and he says, I didn't know. I didn't know. But when you held the guitar up like this, and you played it like that, then I knew. Oh, my. And that was it. That's awesome. He was small. Took him
1: a long time, right?
2: Well, he didn't know that I was actually really a professional musician, you know. So we had this tension going, you know. Until Mm. he actually saw me play, uh, you know, I I mean, I felt like I wasn't accepted until then. You know, but after that— I'll just say, after that, we became very close. And when I was in Melbourne, I'd always stay at his house,
1: and he'd always Mm -hmm. put me up. And uh,
2: yeah, it was—it was. uh, (laughs) That's how—that's how I got to know my (laughs) (laughs) father-in-law.
1: Well, I'm sure he could really see how everyone appreciated you, and you know how they were uh, moved by you. So he got caught up in it. It's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, So let me ask you about uh, playing in Sydney. Was that part of the '58? 53 straight days or was that uh because yeah. you did something on television well, there the, yeah too, no yeah.
2: actually uh i did a few trips to sydney and it's okay. mixed but i, I did have a, a spot on a television show donnie sutherland had a, a, a morning show and uh, i used to he said you're part of the family now because we did a really the first show that we did for him really went hmm. well so he wanted us to play on his show every time we would come through sydney right so we nice. had that connection, and that really was great PR for our band. It got people into the clubs where we were playing. And mm-hmm. and remember, I still did not have any recorded music, and I still to this day have never had any recorded music <laughs> except for the Surf Punks, which I really want to say thank you, Surf Punks, but that's not the only kind of music I play.
1: Okay. Oh, so, man. No way.
2: <laughs> so, so anyway, no. so yeah, so uh, Sydney uh, – yeah, I did a television show there. I, used to, I played at the basement. I got a great story about the basement, actually. Yeah. We were playing on a Monday night, and on a Sunday, uh, there was a great guitar player there. Hang on a second. So on the Sunday is Tommy Emanuel. Now, hmm. I never heard of this guy. Um, I don't know much about anything at this point. I'm just a guy that's out on the road all the time, right? But anyway, he's a very, very accomplished... Fantastic guitarist, right? Well, I coin we got there uh Sunday afternoon. We're playing the next day, so l- let's go down to the basement and see what this club is like and see who's there, whatever. We go in and um he's up there with a jam band. All of his friends, session guys from around Sydney are all jamming, right? And he's playing mm-hmm. a telecaster and I'm I'm hearing it and I'm going, eh. I think I can hold my own against this guy. Yeah, this guy's all the fuss, right? Yeah, yeah. Why <laughs> I can't wait to play. Sydney's gonna love what I do. This, if this is the best that Sydney's got to offer, you know, so much for this guy. You know, this this is like the thoughts I have. Right (laughs) then, check it out. He kicks everybody off the stage, right, and he comes out with an acoustic guitar, and he starts Hmm. playing the acoustic guitar just by himself, right. And the hair on my back is standing up. I'm going, oh my God, this guy is unbelievable. (laughs) <laughs> Forget it. Uh, Never allow another musician back up on that stage. You just keep playing that acoustic guitar because you're the greatest, you know. And and now he's very established in Nashville. He's come to America and he's uh, you know, one of the greatest uh you know, chicken-picking, acoustic guitar players you'll ever hear. I mean, he's just amazing. But uh, I really got caught off guard. You know, my ego my ego <laughs> is going, oh, this is going to be great. I'm just going to take over this place. And he blew me away with just
1: an acoustic guitar. You know, I just— Well, so, you probably thought, I'm not going to bring acoustic guitar up there next. No way. You know, Where's my Stratocaster?
2: <laughs> I, I couldn't even play an acoustic guitar like halfway decent compared to a guy like that. He is just, just the greatest, you know? Ah, uh, that's
1: so cool.
0: Yeah. That is so cool.
1: You know, I, I know that there's some, maybe some little stories you might want to share. I, 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 Things people said when they, I mean, the first time they saw you play, or I think I read uh, one guy at a restaurant just walked up to you and said, you're a legend, you know, and you have, uh, you had some newspaper articles about you. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Rock star waiting Don. to be
2: found kind of article. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey, wait, I wrote that down, but I didn't <laughs> say it yet. There we go. <laughs> that, was hey, I'm front, doing the
2: <laughs> that was a front page of uh, a newspaper actually. Amazing. They had a big picture of me, and it said "Rock Star Waiting to Be Found," you know.
1: But you know, so you're there, and you play. You you found out that blues was something that they loved there. Yeah, um, did and you that was. Really uh, let me let me talk
2: blues? about that a little bit. That was because yeah. of a band, I think, a Chain uh, with Matt Taylor and Phil Manning. They were a mm-hmm. blues group out of Australia that tour, did a lot of touring, long mm-hmm. before I even got there. Right, so they mm-hmm. had popularized blues uh, very much so. Uh, and i became friends with matt and phil uh, later on but uh so they paved the way uh, not that i made it any the paving any bigger or wider but uh <laughs> they made it up okay for me to play blues and uh they had created an audience for it yeah and matt and i are still good friends today uh side of Mr. Hoisenstam there on the blues guitar. That's called the Hurried Laundry Blues. I'm John Hoisenstam. I'm hosting The Guitar Life. This is a Believe podcast. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Man, that was some yummy blues guitar playing. I went back in 2015 and did a blues concert, and he was on the bill, so I got to see him again. And when he came over to visit America for the first time, when I was living here in the 90s, he stayed at my house. So Matt Taylor uh, with his group Chain, I think they've got like 20 albums out. So he's a very established uh, guy, you know, Um, as far as little stories about. uh,
1: Well, I mean, I was what about wait, 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 hold on. How about uh, like shrimp and prawn night? I mean Oh, that's in Darwin. It? Yeah. Well. Oh, okay. I mean Darwin. Let's talk about Darwin. Oh, man. <laughs> Is it at the Nightcliff Amateur Night? <laughs> oh and god.
2: Amateur night. night. So, yeah, yeah. I'll just tell a few few quick stories about Darwin. Amateur Night, right? Uh-huh. Wednesday night. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're we're playing on the weekends. We got the weekends covered. Maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we play, right? But the other nights of the week, they got to keep their entertainment going, right? So, they had uh-huh. a sh- uh, you know, shrimp and prawn or uh You know, a strip and prawn, actually, not shrimp. Strip. I said shrimp. You know, like strip, teas, and prawn. Strip and prawn. So I go, I better go check out uh, the old strip and prawn, you know. So I walk in there, and I'm telling you, the place smells like the worst wharf, seafood wharf you've ever been to in your life. It just stinks of of fish, right? Mm -hmm. And what these biker guys were doing is they were taking bowls of shrimp— and they were throwing the shrimp up into the fans, you know, like there's those old fashioned air fans that come down from the ceiling and spin around. Mm. They'd throw the shrimp up and it would hit the fan and it would splatter shrimp out all over the room, you know. So, that's another saying
1: shrimp hits the fan instead of, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, hey, whatever.
2: Another one <laughs> of the activities going on during strip and prawn was these races where guys would roll up newspaper and they would uh-huh. stick it between their legs, right, and light it, and they would run around a table. And whoever could run around the table the most, you know, got the most numbers of, uh, you know, circles around the table, right, he'd win the contest, right? And you had to, you know... (laughs) Keep going, and if it got if the flames got too close, you of course it would burn the whole you know, the, it, it'd yeah. burn your rectal center to kingdom come, basically.
1: Huh. Well, you seem to have a really good uh, memory of this, like you were kind of like right How there. Could yeah? <laughs> How could you forget something? How could you forget something? Okay, let's something get to like amateur that? night. Let's get to the amateur night part. Oh, about amateur the amateur
2: night. Night. we'll make that brief. They had this uh-huh. uh amateur night where they would put up a chicken wire, right. And they okay. would allow people to throw their empties, you know, their beer uh, bottles at uh, whoever was entertaining, and uh, we we would back, you know, some of these acts up because we were the local house band. Our equipment was already set up, but we weren't playing that particular mm-hmm. night. But we got invited to come and you know back up some of these uh, amateur acts. You know, so I got I got to see what these things were like firsthand, right? And uh, usually the trend was a guy would invite his friends. They would come in groups, you know, several groups, and one guy would be the volunteer comedian, and he he didn't have any skills at all as a comedian. They they Uh weren't real legitimate comedians, but what they would do is they would cuss out and swear at all their friends that were in the audience, you know, over the microphone as loud as they could, right? And these guys were all throwing beer bottles at him, you know? Beer bottles. Yeah, because it was it was screened off with chicken wire. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so he was gotcha. protected. So he would <laughs> yeah, see yeah. one of his friends, and he would call the guy every uh, dirty word that you could think of under the sun. I mean, the the worst mm-hmm. four letter word kind of stuff you could ever imagine. And these beer mm-hmm. bottles would be, you know, coming up, and you know, and everybody would be laughing their heads off because it was that funny, right? And there mm-hmm. were groups of these people doing that. That was kind of like you know amateur night, you know, the comedian amateur kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So so what What really got me uh, about this thing, this trend that they were doing at the Nightcliff Hotel, was one night when I wasn't working, I walked in there, you know, to watch. Uh, you know, we played there quite a bit. I did a lot of tours through uh, the northwest of Australia. So I got to play at, uh, in Darwin quite a few times. And so one night I was just hanging out there because, oh, well, <laughs> what could possibly happen at one of these things? I, I know what's going to happen. So this one guy that had never been there before comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, are you allowed to swear at these things?" You know, somebody who'd never seen. And I, I said to him, "You just watch the first comedian that gets up there." Sure enough, he will be your guide. <laughs> the first guy just yes. completely goes off. You know, then I look over the guy and he looks at me and goes, "Ah, I guess you can swear yeah, here." I can. What? This goes beyond <laughs> swearing. You know, this is like crazy. <laughs> wow
1: that's amazing yeah Yeah, that's fun (laughs) nice nice so okay now you mentioned um earlier that you didn't have any i don't know you said like recordings published i know you did some you i was at i believe uh a recording studio there um yeah but you yeah you did some i have some of your some of your cds
2: well well uh when i was uh settled into perth i was uh Working with a guy named Vic Manfred, who managed a recording studio. And I mm-hmm. was just helping him produce some of the local bands and getting music in there. And in my free okay. time, I recorded three ambient recordings. I still mm-hmm. have those available. Uh, I never really officially released them, but one of, one of the songs got picked for a release just recently. It went on mm. to a, 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 an actual record disc, you know, wow. Sai Wan, which means uh, monsoon. It's ambient instrumental music, easy listening Mm -hmm. kind of instrumental music. Yeah, I was doing. I I did that project while I was working uh, for him, Mm -hmm. and um, you know he let me have uh, the studio to to do whatever I want. So I just experimented while I was
1: working for him. Was that the Revolver? Yeah, Revolver Studios, exactly right. Okay.
2: Spent in West Australia. That instrumental tracks called "I Are the Angels." You're listening to a Believe podcast. I'm John Hoisenstein, your host. This is the Guitar Life. Hope you're enjoying our show. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening. Nice. I did make one recording there of uh, myself and Matt Taylor playing blues, mm. uh, and and that, that was the only real recording that I made. Like of its kind, besides a BBC you know, BBC wanted to record uh, one of my bands, and we were playing instrumental music with the French drummer Bertrand Lelan and an Australian bass player Tony Gibbs. And we mm. had our own original jazz fusion band, and we got invited to play at Montreal Jazz Festival, but mm. it was too far for us to travel. So, so it's no kidding. Like, yeah, well, they weren't offering us enough money to c- cover our bases, so it was, it was uh-huh. silly. So we didn't do it, and to- of course, Tony was really mad at us. He, and later on, I found out we could have got sponsors, and we could have actually gone and played there. And if we would have, we, we might have got some notoriety. But mm-hmm. uh, this particular recording that I made with Matt Taylor, I burned cassettes. I had 600 cassettes made, mm-hmm. and I took those on the road with me. On a tour right i sold them all in the first like two weeks oh they just went like like hot cakes right because it was the only recording that that you could get of me
1: you know wow yeah Wow. and you have you have a lot of great recordings but you know i mean i have some
2: well they never got released they're not available to the public
1: amazing yeah, huh, yeah. Really cool. I mean, I guess I should huh. be
2: on Spotify and iTunes and yeah. all this hey, kind not of too stuff. It's to
1: put them on there. Yeah, you'll get a uh, lot of new fans, too. Maybe. did you? <laughs> Maybe. Now, in Perth, did you have uh, guitar students, too, that you were teaching? Uh...
2: Just to make oh. a long story short, right, I used to carry around this book, and okay. it was pages and pages of phone numbers. And I used to show it to people. I go, look at this. What do you think that is? You know, they'd open it up and go, God, who are all these people? And I go, it's the waiting list.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: I couldn't fit, you know, the people into my schedule. I had so many people that wanted to take lessons.
1: So even in Australia, because you have a ton. uh, I mean, you are really, really well-known as an instructor here in, in, in California. That's amazing.
2: Well, I was working out of the guitar shop in Laguna Beach, a very prominent, spot for guitar education Big several time, yeah. several other teachers that work there are great musicians and mm-hmm. teachers themselves so we had this pool of teachers and while i was uh running the counter there uh, acting as manager i'd run the the guitar school and i'd be booking mm-hmm. students for all the teachers and trying to be as diplomatic as i could about who's going to get what student and that kind of stuff so there was a lot of that going on but in australia i taught at different music stores I taught at Concept Music. I taught at Zenith Music, so I had I had locations where I was teaching, and plus I had uh, private students because whenever I played a gig, people would ask me for guitar lessons.
1: It was crazy. Yeah, no kidding. You know. Did they want to learn the blues or? Yeah, did uh, they
2: blues, yeah. Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Oh, all that terrible music, huh? No, I'm kidding. I love it.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, most most uh, uh, students wanted to learn how to play blues. Uh, I did have some jazz students. I did have uh uh-huh. people that just wanted to learn beginning guitar, but most of them was uh blues stuff, you know. Um Mike Bloomfield, B.B. B. King, uh Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, anything that had blues uh background to it. That was their main interest, yeah.
1: Nice, nice. Awesome. So you that's so awesome that you were sharing your uh your skills and your uh, teaching uh so many people there. I'm sure it was turn it was wonderful. So let's now let's talk a little bit about your last performance. Was it called es, um, Esperance? Esperance Um Wild Surfer booking agents, I think. Desperance. Esperance. I, I had so played in Esperance before.
2: I had played in Esperance before. I had done some shows there before. Okay. Um, and incidentally the band was called the Alligators at the time. So it was John Hughes and Stam and
1: the Alligators. John Hughes and Stam and the yeah. Oh yeah, Join I never, Heusenstam, I never Heusenstam, said Heusenstamm, Heusenstam, but I got a, alligators.
2: Yeah, I got a Hoisenstam story for you, but I, I usually say Hughes because it's easier f- for people to spell and understand me, you know. But uh, yeah, Esperance yeah, was a yeah. great show for me. It was kind of like a farewell because they knew they heard I was h- on my way back to America, and um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, there was a big rock concert that I did there. Yeah. So wow. I don't know what to tell you wow. about that, but it was so fantastic.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> really fun. A great show. And did you do two shows or three, or how many did they book for you?
2: I just did one big show. It was about uh, twenty five hundred people, okay. and I played in their local bar. Ooh. You know, the night before the big uh, concert, I did a you know show for the, you know, like for uh, the locals. You know, the people that were putting on the concert, the people that uh, lived in the mm-hmm. area. They wanted to have a private show with our band. So I played in their bar gotcha. which was really fun and then they put us on the big mm-hmm. stage the following day. Yeah.
1: So amazing, amazing. Yeah. Well, probably kind of a bittersweet, you know, kind of an end of that particular journey for you there cuz Well,
2: well, let's just talk you know. a little bit about these alligators first of all, right? Uh, yeah. that particular okay. band at that time was Ashley Cook and John Ryder. Now, they were very okay. good musicians that were great at rock. They were great hard rock musicians, great at Led Zeppelin, Hendrix, and all that kind of stuff. Johnny Winters. You know, they could play all that mm. music. Uh, Ashley was a fantastic drummer. He could play like John Bonham. He was just really, really talented. And mm-hmm. uh, together, we were a pretty formidable team. You know, we did a lot of uh, lot of work, uh, just completely blew that Mosman Park Hotel away, this particular <laughs> lineup. And before that, there was a guy named John Kellett, And uh, the guy that took an interest in my career, Barry Rogers, he was called the Rock Doctor. He was a bass player, and he was very into country music and country rock. So we had a good group with him, and later on Ashley came with Barry on the bass. But Barry was the guy responsible for me getting bookings all over Australia because he had all these Mm -hmm. connections. But he was also a very good bass player. And the other thing about Barry was he was a naturalist so he had a an interest in Australian wildlife and so did I so when we were touring yeah. we would be we'd be between cities we'd go to a national park or we'd go to any any place where we thought we could see birds and reptiles and you know snakes and lizards whatever we could find <laughs> um, we had a lot of fun uh, with that band so uh yeah nice. so uh, the first group the lifters was Elliot Morris and uh Bevan Rada. and then we had uh Harris Campbell, and I had some great bands actually. Australia's no like, forget about it. I mean, they were, <laughs> it was more fun there than it was in America. Australia was yeah. just nuts and bolts, rock and roll, great PA systems, fantastic light shows, great experienced musicians that really put 100% into what they were doing. And I had mm-hmm. a lot of fun there, you know? Yeah. Plus, there's a the surf
1: okay. community. So mm-hmm. I, got, I got the best of both worlds going, you know? That's for sure. Now uh one last question on John Hoisenstam and the alligators. Um, oh yeah, right okay. Hoisenstam.
2: I got to tell you about that. I'll finish with that. I'll I'll finish yeah, the with, that. I'll, I'll yeah, finish with that. that.
1: Go on. You but My question. Yeah, my question is who came up with that name? I know I know who came up with your name. It was your your dad and mom, but what about the alligators?
2: Well, I thought of that because since I'm American, you can't be uh-huh. a crocodile. You know, Australia's got crocodiles <laughs> oh, and America's got true. alligators. So I just said <laughs> alligators so because I'm American. Uh, that's gotcha. how I came up with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. So, what about the story on Hoischenstam? Your name?
2: I was playing Cockatoo Island, or, or, uh, yeah, I think it was on Cockatoo Island, mm-hmm. and it's a mining uh, island uh, off the coast of uh, Northwest Australia. It's called King Sound, right? And they flew us out there in Cessna planes. So, in other mm-hmm. words, we get to the airport, we load all of our equipment into one small airplane, and the band gets into the other one. And they fly us out to this island, right? Mm -hmm. And the other island was Cooland Island. So it might have been on Cooland Island, this story happened. Anyway, so we set up, and we used to have this big banner, John Heusenstamm and the Alligators, you know, (laughs) across the back of the stage. But I wouldn't say Heusenstam, I'd say Heusenstam, right? Uh Anyway, Uh so we're doing these rock shows, and they were a lot of fun. People uh, love Starve or Starve for uh, live entertainment. Here, Here we are, they fly us out there, and we put on a great show for them. And this German guy comes up out of the audience, right? And he's he's gesturing with his hand as and looking at my name, you know, he's he's going all the <laughs> way across the the, the, yeah. the the poster or the, the banner uh-huh. going. "Husenstam. you say heusenstamm. Is this not Heusenstam? Don't you say <laughs> Heisens? <laughs> he got really emotional. He said, You should be proud to be Heisens. I used to play the violin. This is Heusenstamm. Oh. Heusenstamm? No. It's not Heusenstamm. It's Heusenstamm. You know, so wow.
1: that was it. <laughs> it's like a reintroduction to your name, which you already knew because you call yourself Heusenstamm.
2: Well, yeah, but here I am out on the, in the middle of nowhere on an island, you know. I mean, yeah. really, really far from anywhere. You wouldn't believe where this place is, right? And there's Amazing. this guy out there waiting yeah. for me to, <laughs> he, he you know? Yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. That's awesome. That
1: was a lot of fun. This is so great, you know, John, a great uh, kind of a tribute to you and your playing and the impact you have in Australia. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this before we close? Except for the fact that my lovely wife and my kids uh, traveled with me
2: a few times, Mm -hmm. and we had some fantastic uh, road trips uh, traveling through Australia over a period of eight years Uh and, uh, you know, just seeing the whole place uh, up up front, you know, up close. Yeah. And the kids are really young,
1: fun too, so young. Yeah,
2: they were all just little kids. Yeah. My my daughter told me the other day, as she said, Dad, you were a great dad because you instilled in us, you know, a sense of adventure. Mm, you made job. us all want to, uh-huh. you know, travel, made us all want to go out and see what's out there. Definitely. Well, you've got you, some you, amazing You instilled the sense of adventure, yeah.
1: Amazing family. Julie's awesome, amazing kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should be proud. Great job. Okay, so. Thank you, John. I want to thank you again for being on the show today, your show. So it's been a pleasure to uh, to get to hear more about you and your history in, in uh, Australia. I think I'm I'm going to have to book a flight out there. It sounds amazing. Maybe you can connect me with some of your friends.
2: Well, I know a one guy, Mark Horsenstam, my brother, he'll <laughs> put you up.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Is he still in the Margaret River? Or where, where is still he? in Margaret River. Why awesome. would he ever
2: leave? Nah, you're right. He's got no reason to leave and go anywhere. Nah, yeah. you're so right. Most beautiful place in the world. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for
1: letting me be your interviewer today because it's a real honor. I love your, your series. It's amazing. Thank you, John. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you.
2: Live at the Great Western Hotel, John Heusenstam. That was my special guest, Matt Taylor on harmonica. And we had John Dalzell on the bass and Al Cash on the drums. What a time in my life. It was so much fun. You've been listening to Believe Podcast. This is The Guitar Life. I'm your host, John Heusenstam. My special guest host today was Pat Honeywell. Thank you, Pat. And thanks to the audience for listening. Until next time, see you
0: later.